Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 736, with Josh Copel. You don't have to wonder, like, who screwed the restaurant industry. We screwed the restaurant industry. We did it. We did it by competing on price and training people that it's a ripoff if they pay regular price. And by charging uh, a price that we believe people are willing to pay as opposed to what it is worth. We have made all of these mistakes. And ultimately, it's going to be up to us in, in conjunction with the patrons who we have to achieve buy-in from to get out of it. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Find out why Toast POS is the number one recommended restaurant POS system on Restaurants Unstoppable. If you're going to survive this upcoming recession, you have got to adapt. And you can't just adapt. You have to adapt fast. With Toast's cloud-based restaurant POS, your system will update to evolve along with changing industry trends and guest expectations. To learn more, head over to toasttab.com slash unstoppable. And because you are restaurant unstoppable listeners, for a limited time, you will get one month free POS software, three months of free digital ordering tools, and 50% off implementation to ease the impact of COVID-19. This is a value of $1,000, but you've got to use our links. What is going on? Unstoppables. So we have a great show lined up for you today. Before I hit play on that, I just want to remind you today's sponsor, Toast Tab, is by far the number one most recommended pod or sorry, POS on the show. And, um, we wanted to do something special with Toast to kind of help you guys out through these hard times. So uh, they were really generous with their commission with us. They're paying us $2,500. So after taxes, it's about $2,000. And we want to share that profit with you. $1,000. If you use our link and set up a demo and end up purchasing Toast, you will get up to $2,000 worth of incentives. I do not know of a better deal out there. So if you want the best deal out there, you got to use our link. You cannot have made prior contact with Toast. And when you use that link and set up your demo, uh, make sure you email me. Let me know that you use the link so I can make sure you get that additional check for $1,000. So today, like I mentioned, a great show for you. We have Josh Copel joining us and some of the things we discuss in today's chat is the power of mindset and how success isn't about a feeling, but it's about mindset, how mindset starts with gratitude, the significance of having a vision, the benefit of creating a transactional business on the side to help build up assets so you can invest in your ultimate restaurant someday, the risk of building a business around your own presence, how to create a culture of inclusivity, avoiding scaling too fast, what's better profit sharing or equity sharing. We get into that. Uh, strategically quitting, not mistaking your business for your life. And then lastly, we discuss offering a service charge in place of taking tips and the benefits of that. It's a really great chat. Here it is. And uh, with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Josh Copel. My man, Josh, are you feeling unstoppable today? 
You're damn right I am, Eric. Yes, that is what we like to hear. So, entrepreneur, restaurateur, and environmental advocate Josh Copel was born and raised in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Throughout his 20-plus year career in food and beverage, he has managed venues ranging from the Alligator Bayou as well as the hottest Hollywood nightclubs, bars, and ultra lounges. He went on to go independent in 2010, opening his first concept 504 in Hollywood, California. Ten years later, he has created a family of brands ranging from a Michelin rated fine dining concept all the way to a fast casual concept, all with the centered focus on southern hospitality and southern cuisine. Not to mention on top of this, you have your own tech company and your own podcast that you just popped off in partnership with Yelp uh the full comp podcast i can't wait to learn more about that uh before we dive into your story let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra what do you got for us for me i I, something i live by is the idea that success is a mindset it's not a feeling Mm. i've never felt successful in my life but I've always had a successful mindset and that is what's pushed me forward every time i set a goal and i hit it i set a new goal Right. So there's never there's never that that moment of success where I'm like, ah, I'm successful. I'm still the same person I was moments before that achievement. And so it's got to be a mindset. It's got to be a successful mindset, because if you're waiting for the feeling, you're probably never going to feel it. Yeah. So what is the trick to get into that mindset? So theoretically, what, what you're saying is starting in this moment in time right now, we can be all of us can be successful because it's just a mindset. So what is the trick to getting into that mindset? It's the difference between satisfaction and gratitude, right? So I am never satisfied with where I am, but I am always grateful for not only the path, the obstacles, the successes. I am grateful for every step along the process, but I am never satisfied with where I am. So how do you find that balance of staying in this place of, of gratitude and not, um, desire and envy and, you know, unsatisfiedness, I don't know, unsatisfaction. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a practice. It, it's something you work on every day. I have a gratitude journal. I also incorporate it into my day to day at the end of every pre-shift with my staff every single day. Um, we each go around in a circle and we say something we're grateful for. Yeah. And it can't, and it can't be something in the abstract. It has to be something new every day. And the goal being that I'm brainwashing the staff and myself, right? If you know, you have to say something new every day, you're constantly looking for things that you're grateful Mm. for. And that gives you a central focus on gratitude. Now, is there a time of day that's best to do this for you personally? Bro, I do it all day. Yeah. All day. I actually, I did it. I did it just before we sat down to talk. I was just so thankful that I had the opportunity to chat with you and, and, you know, get to experience this platform and talk with your people about the things that have improved my life. Awesome, brother. Great way to get this thing started. And we're grateful to have you here on that note. So where does it make sense to start telling your story? What's the starting point? So I, you know, I was born and raised in the industry. I came up through it in Southern Louisiana, which hospitality was always a thing. Um, I got my first management opportunity, the Alligator Bayou Bar, located on Alligator Bayou Road, located on Alligator Bayou. Nice. It is exactly how you're envisioning it. It was, it was an old shack um, on the water with alligators everywhere. 
um, as cliche as it is, like it just it, I developed such a love for people and the industry. And I, that, that's I, really I picture right. a lot of taxidermy for some reason. Am I, am I right? Oh, yeah, okay. for sure. But more wildlife <laughs> than taxidermy. Most okay. of it was living, not dead. <laughs> that's crazy. Um, it is. And you can Google it. Google the Alligator Bayou Bar in Prairieville, Louisiana. Um, and, and you'll see images of exactly where I came up. But that's where I, I, I came to the realization that I have a servant's heart. When did you realize this and how did you realize this? I fell into it like everybody else. I was looking for cheap, easy money. And what I noticed was is that I enjoyed it. I enjoyed sweeping up the trash and I enjoyed taking away people's beers and giving them fresh beers. I, I, I understood the value that comes from being a participant in someone else's joy in and mem- in creating a memorable life experience for someone else. It, it, it resonated with me from the beginning. You know, Eric, I say it all the time. I am like the luckiest person in the world in the way that people spend 10, 20, 30 years trying to figure out who they are and what they want to do for a living. And I always knew this is where I belong. Can you bring us to like a specific moment, an encounter you had with maybe a, a, a boss or a mentor or a customer that really kind of just like pushed you over the edge and, and sold you for life on this career? Absolutely. <laughs> Bring us there. I, uh, I cut my hand wide open at work. And, uh, and so, you know, we, no, most of us don't go to the hospital when we, we cut ourselves in the industry. So I wrapped it up and I was holding, was holding my arm over my head. Um, and and I, I, w- I was sitting in the back and it, it was a busy night. It was a Saturday night at the bar. And I was watching everything else happen. There was a live band playing. There were people playing pool. There were a bunch of people dancing. There were a couple of birthday parties being celebrated. And the bartenders were running around. And it was the first moment that I had the opportunity to step back and and really observe what I had actively participated in for quite some time. And I just, in that moment, I was so awestruck. I, I, I fell in love with the industry and whether I was there or whether I was like in nightclubs in Hollywood watching celebrities, you know, behave in the, in the same way in the same scenario, but in an 8,000 square foot nightclub um, or, or in all of the different paths that, that, that my career has taken. Uh, I have always retained that central focus on. So let's timestamp this. Like what year is it at this point? How old are you? Oh my God. Uh, 2000. Okay. I am so 20 years um, ago. Yeah, I was 21. And I know it was like the early 2000s is when you came to California or you, you left Louisiana for Los Angeles, one LA to mm-hmm. the other LA. Um, mm-hmm. What what was going through your mind? Like what, what was the, the thought process on that move? Were you Was it intentional? Were you just looking for a change? Like what was going on? I, I had this brilliant idea that I was going to come to Los Angeles. I was going to find a forward thinking idea and then I was going to bring it back to Baton Rouge and become the hero, the genius. So right? At this point in your life, you, you want to open a restaurant. Like that's the intention you're thinking to yourself or a bar or okay. a club or whatever is, whatever is cool and hip. And your strategy uh, was to go to where the, the, you know, it's cutting edge to, to surround yourself with, you know, the most com- competitive forward thinking restaurateurs. And you're going to bring that knowledge, that experience back to Louisiana. I was going to steal. I was going <laughs> to go. Everybody a good does. idea. Yeah. 
take that shit home and, and pretend like it's my idea. Yeah. Um, but, but I got wrapped up in it. I got wrapped up in the culture and the lifestyle and I really enjoyed it out here. So how, I felt like I fit. Well. When did you make it out there in the first place? I'm curious. 2001. 2001. So you spent about a year at this um, Bayou bar. Um, was there a mentor that encouraged you to do this or suggested that if you do this? Like, what, where was this? I, I mean, because what you did is what I would tell most people to do. Go to a place where you can surround yourself with other people who have the same pa- passion, the same desires, and where you can learn from the best and, you know, bust your ass and, and pick up those skills and, and you know, uh, network and and bring it back to a smaller community, right? Where you can be, where you have a better shot at being number one, um, is what I would tell somebody to do, which is what you, what your plan sounds like. Um, but it sounds like you got, you got sucked into the, the, the LA lifestyle, right? Um, any key mentors in LA, um, or anything like that, that really helped influence and mold who you are today. I I would say that most of those mentors fell outside of the industry. Okay. It, It was, it was in, when, when I came up in this industry, and I think this is true for so many of us, especially around our age range, you and I are similar in age, is, you know, it was, it was an industry run on fear, intimidation, strong arming. Uh, every day I drove to work, no matter who I worked for. And I always thought to myself, like, today's the day. Today's the day I'm going to get fired. Today's the day I'm going to get yelled at publicly. And I don't even know what it's for, but I'm sure I did something. And, you know, what spurred on my, my, my quest for entrepreneurship was this question, like, can I do it differently? Can I, can I create a holistic environment where people feel loved and supported and inspired and make money and have patrons love me and and get the buy-in from the staff? Is it possible? And, And that's, that's what led to me exiting the nightclub industry in the, uh, in the early to mid 2000s and opening 504 in Hollywood, which was a 900 square foot dive bar that opened kind of in the, in the bowels of the 2008 recession. So let's, let's pull back some of the layers on this. Um, you, you knew early on what you wanted to be. You had a vision. The, the, the significance of a vision is so important. Um, did you write this down anywhere or is it just kind of this gut thing that you carried around with you? It was a gut thing that I carried around. It was a two-parter, though. The the first part was deciding what I wanted to do. And that's what led me to get into the industry and stay in the industry. Mm -hmm. But that matters a lot less than the next question I had to answer, which was, who did I want to be? And, you know, that led, I mean, that led up until four months ago when I asked the third important question I've ever asked in my life, which is, what do I want my life to look like? I made it 40 years without asking myself that question. It's incredible. Yeah. It's Uh, crazy. So reflecting back at this time, um, was there a specific moment? You said that you were driving to work every day. You had this, this like fear that today was going to be the day that you got fired for whatever reason. Were there any lessons on how not to run your business on on what not to do that you can share with us? Uh, Key lessons that like put you on this path. Yeah, absolutely. I got tired of getting yelled at. Yeah. I got tired of seeing other people get yelled at. Um, I, I got I got tired of the conversation being exclusively about what was wrong and not about what was right. What, what I saw when I looked at the industry was I saw opportunity. I saw that most of the people that I worked with were young, impressionable, and at the beginning of their careers. 
And I saw that as an amazing opportunity to actively participate, to help mold. Um, and I, I never really felt like any of my prior employers invested in me as a person, right? But had they invested in me as a person, I would have invested more in, in their business. And that's just a theory. I didn't know whether that would actually be the case or not, but I decided to give it a shot. It took me 10 years to open my own shop. Wow. So you said you didn't really have any mentors within the restaurant industry and and you were learning a lot of what not to do in your come up in the restaurant or not restaurant, but hospitality, I should say. Um, Who were your mentors? Where were you getting this inspiration? Where were you getting these values? Were they just intrinsic or was somebody influencing you? I think they came from outside the industry. I, I mean, obviously I can, you know, later in my career, I can look to Danny Meyer and, and his book is like something that, that really set the path for me. But I look at guys like Richard Branson. Yeah. Who looked, who looked like he was having a lot of fun, right? Every day. And I wasn't, I wasn't having a lot of fun and my bosses weren't making a lot of money. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, I think you make a good point. I think a lot of times when we think of mentor, we think of this traditional sense of, you know, the Sherpa, this, this person that we go to who, you know, shares their life secrets. And that is a very real thing. We can do that. And it's very powerful relationship to have, but we can get mentorship, especially in today's age from everywhere from whether it's a podcast or a book or whatever, we can tap into the minds of the most, the most brilliant minds out there and get influence from so many incredible people. And it kind of sounds like that was what was going on with you. Like, were you just a big reader? Were you like huge? Okay. Huge reader. Okay. Gotcha. Absolutely. I mean, I, I could run you through, you know, current reads like, uh, principles by Ray Dalio, uh, Jim Collins, good to gray, Gina Wickman traction, I, it's, I, I've always been a voracious reader. I've always been focused on self-improvement uh, on a personal and professional level. I've always wanted to understand uh, why I have failed all of the times that I've failed in my life and why I've succeeded. So I'm curious, why do you think up to this point, now the years approximately 2007, 2008 in your timeline, in your story, why was the industry the way it was? Um, very, uh, Yell, scream, shout, uh, distrust, holding secrets close to your chest, competition. What, what was? Why did we get to this place? Oh, I don't know. Because it probably happened 150 years ago. <laughs> yeah, right. um, I, I think the better question to ask is why hadn't it been changed? It's not like anybody was happy with it. Yeah, you know, I I, I can tell you that when you look at the the, the racial inequities and the the gender inequities that have existed within this industry. Um, When you come up in it, and I think maybe this answers your question, because most of us get into it so young, right? You're indoctrinated into a culture, whether healthy or unhealthy, and you don't know any different. So you don't even question the social norms that are created within the industry. Um, But one of the amazing things that's come out of this pandemic is the opportunity to question those social norms and say, you know, what does this industry need to look like yeah, moving it's, forward? It's funny you mentioned that. There's a, I guess there's kind of like a lot of like parallels in the sense of, um, you know, you look at like systemic racism where we're, where uh, the majority of people, uh, privileged people are just blind to it because we're surrounded by it. It's like a fish doesn't see water. You know, we don't see the air. Uh, we're surrounded by it. We're just, it's, we've, we've acclimated to that standard, right? Same thing was happening in the restaurant industry where here we just were, this is the way to do it right? Like this is the way that's been passed down for generations, generations. And there's only one way to do it. 
Um, and, but we didn't see that there were other ways. We didn't see the issues with the industry because we were surrounded by it, right? There, no matter what restaurant you go to, there's kind of a standard within the industry. Do you agree or disagree with that? I agree with you. Yeah. I, you know, I, I can remember coming up in the industry and I can remember that the managing partner of one of the nightclubs I ran, that, that our liquor delivery came late the first day we were opening. It was one of those nightmare scenarios that, I, as it turns out, happens all the time. But the nightclub was set to open. It was opening night. It was six o'clock in the evening. Doors were at 10 and the liquor order still hadn't come. And he goes, call and find out. And he was standing next to me. And so I called and I was 24 years old at the time. And, uh, and he goes, call and find out where the liquor order is. And I called. And then as I'm like, Hey man, where's the order? He tells me to pause the phone. I pause it. And he goes, that's what you're going to do. You're not going to scream. You're not going to let him know that this is a mistake and he needs to prioritize our account. And like he amped me up and he got me angry. And then the next thing you know, like I'm screaming at this dude on the phone, like there's any correlation between him processing the order two days ago and the driver delivering it later. But it was, it, it was a culture I was indoctrinated into. And that, that type of anger and fear and intimidation, it, it was encouraged. So now fast forward 12 years, 10 years later, um, in that same scenario, what would you do? How would you handle the situation if it happened last night? I would have called the rep three hours early. <laughs> right. Or you, you know what I mean? I would have been, I would have been on my shit. I, it wasn't his fault that I didn't realize the order hadn't been delivered yet. I was overwhelmed. My workflow wasn't where it needed to be. I could have called I, I could have called him two days prior and said, Hey, can you prioritize this shipment and make sure we get it by noon? Yeah. Like what, what has changed about my life is that I truly believe that very little of what goes wrong in my life is due to other people. It is almost always due to a lack of attention to detail on my part or a poor choice that I've made. Yeah. Awesome stuff, man. I'm loving this conversation. Let's take our first break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to start diving into how you opened your own restaurant group. What's going on, Unstoppables? Today's episode is brought to you by me and Restaurant Unstoppable. I'm using this ad space to create awareness about Restaurant Unstoppable Network. So Restaurant Unstoppable Network is my attempt of bringing all my past guests or as many as possible and the experts I've had on the show back on the show to, to or back or into this community, basically this network, along with you, my most passionate listeners, my most loyal listeners, and starting next week, or sorry, starting this week, starting in two days, Wednesday, of the first week of August, we have Ari Weinswag coming back on the show. If you're not familiar with Ari, he is the founder, uh, co-founder of Zingerman's Delicatessen and Zingerman's Community of Business in Ann Arbor, Michigan. He is, his books keep on getting recommended on the show. He has four volumes of a last anarchist approach to filling in the blank, uh, basically building a better business, becoming a better leader. You get the idea. Four volumes. Uh, we're going to be covering his first book, specifically Visioning in the first workshop that gets popped off this week. Wednesday live. So Ari's going to be coming on to talking about visioning. And the reason why I'm really excited to share this with you right now in this episode specifically is because Josh gets into the power of visioning in today's episode and why having a vision uh, and making sure your vision is the same vision as your partners. And be realistic. Be honest right now, guys. Do you have solid visions? Are you communicating your visions to your team? Do your team members want to go to the same place as you? Do your team members know where you're going and where you're taking them? You have to communicate this stuff and you have to do 
it constantly. No matter where you are in your journey as a restaurateur, you need a vision and you need to share it. So if you do not have a vision or if your vision is getting a little rusty and you want to revigorate it, make sure you join us live this Wednesday with Ari Weinswack. He's going to be able to answer your questions. You're going to be on the show live with us. But in order to join us live, you need to be a part of Restaurant Unstoppable Network. And my vision for Restaurant Unstoppable Network is to bring all of my hand-selected past guests and experts to one spot to share knowledge and pay it forward to the next generation of leaders, people like you listening to this. If we're going to make change in our industry like we discussed in today's episode, it's going to come from us. It's going to come from within. And this platform is where I want to do that. So come hang out with us. We have Ari Weinswag joining us live this week. Uh, We're going to be discussing visioning. Next week, he's coming back to discuss anarchy in business, and you can be there with us. Again, restaurantunstoppablenetwork.com. What are you waiting for? We are back. And take us to the point where you're like, okay, I can do this. I can do this better than the people I've been working for. Like, I'm going to go out. I'm going to take my stab at this. Like, when did you know that was going to happen? 2009, uh, fourth quarter, 2009. I decided that that the night we were in the midst of the 2008 recession, right? And like a year in, we were in the thick of it. And I looked around Hollywood and all I saw were these like lavish nightclubs. These people coming in from Orange County to parties, celebrities, the whole nine yards. And it just didn't seem like a sustainable model to me. And I was like, I want to open the bar that I grew up in. I want to open the bar that that people can go to every day. That, that is at an accessible price point. There's no door guy. It's not ultra trendy. I just wanted to open a bar. So I did. Uh, on Hollywood Boulevard, I opened 504, which is the area code for New Orleans. Um, and I opened this New Orleans-inspired uh, bar. And I got to tell you, man, from the day we opened, it was busy. From the day we opened... It made money. So let's let's get granular. Let's really take it down. I want to find out what approach you took, what what things you did right, what things you wish you would have done differently, and learning the hard way. So setting up the business, like what was your like? How did you get the money? Did you were you putting money away? Were you saving up? Did you need investors? Uh, I had licensed the clothing line that gave me some of the financing for it, and then I also took on a business partner who uh, who was my best friend and financier. Okay, so um. What what did you? That's another thing we didn't even talk about. That you were kind of had a whole like entrepreneurial side hustle going this entire time. I did. Uh, I left. So three years prior to opening the bar, I had uh, I had left the nightclub to start a clothing line. Okay. The logic being that you know the only thing you really need in order to have a clothing line take off are celebrities wear the clothing publicly, right? And through the nightclub, I knew a ton of celebrities, so I was like, I'll just have them wear the clothes. They're my friends. And then I, you know, that'll help me get placement in key stores. Did it and work? yeah, uh, by the end of, by the time I licensed it, I was in 400 doors in the U S and eight countries. The line was carried by Barney's New York, uh, Bloomingdale's Nordstrom. I, w- I was all over the place. So were you working? So you were working, you said up to like 2007, then you did three years, approximately three to four years, uh, building this closing line. Then you sold it. I'm assuming. Yep. I licensed it out. Licensed it out. Okay. I mean, can you give us any advice about a side hustle while we're working to, to create assets for ourselves, the significance of having assets to gain leverage in life just in general? Absolutely. Don't start a clothing line. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is, that is step one. It seemed to it, work it for you. It did. It, 
It did. It worked incredibly well for me. But that wasn't it, that side hustle became my, my main hustle. It became my principal focus. I got out of the industry entirely during that period because it required so much to grow it. Here, here's the best advice I would give myself. Uh, participate in something transactional. I think that that is, that is the key to a side hustle. If you are involved in something that is transactional, you, you will never have the opportunity to work in your business. You will only be able to work on your business. And therein lies the secret to being truly transactional. So give me some examples of a transactional business. A credit card processor is a transactional business, right? Um, Open table is a transactional business. They do not supply you with the restaurant. They do not supply you with the patron. They supply you with the reservation, Mm -hmm. right? It's it's transactional. It's not laborious. Um, Another example of a transactional relationship would be my tech company. So uh, at Flow Hospitality Solutions, we provide a communication solution for uh, restaurants that are typically closed during the day. I solve my own problem. Yeah. Uh, when you have a fine dining restaurant that's closed during the day, uh, who's going to answer the phone? Yeah. So you're talking about products and not necessarily ser- well, services so like software as a service. SaaS would be an example of a transactional where you can lean on systems and processes to replace yourself sure. because there isn't a relationship or a person that that business hinges on. Right. When you build a business, you should build a business where you do everything initially, but the focus is on growing yourself out of that business. Yeah. It sounds like what you're talking about is, is creating channels of passive income where you can own an asset that generates money for you and use that asset to invest in other projects like your future restaurant. For sure. But people see that as real estate, right? People see that as uh, principal ownership in, in a large investment that someone else has. It can be very, very simple. Mm-hmm. Where did you go to learn about these things? Like, what was your inspiration? Like, were you, did you have a resource or a book that you can share with my audience? Oh my God, so many. You know what I'll do? I'll just send you a link and you can include it in the show notes okay. too. A good. ton of books because they, they're just so many. What I can tell you is this I graduated uh, from Louisiana State University in marketing okay. at the top of my class. Before the internet and social media. Okay. That degree was worth nothing. <laughs> I, did, I did my senior paper on billboards. There you go. <laughs> you, know, you know all about, what is it, the four P's or the five P's? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so it's, it's, it's a, I'm self-taught, right? You. Yeah. So when you were opening your first restaurant, which was uh, 504, correct? Or 405? Yep. 504. 504. Um, 504. Uh, how much did you need? Like, did you have all the money? Were you self, did you self invest? Did you have to take any, Oh, you said you had a partner. I did. Okay. So yeah, I mean, we had all the money we needed to open. And then I, again, when we opened, it was like gangbusters. Tell, the me, about, was relative- tell me about your partner. What was that relationship? What was the, that dynamic? He isn't of the industry. I, I think this is, this story is a great example of how when you're in the right headspace, things just come your way. Uh, he is self-made. He's incredibly wealthy. He's done very well for himself. Uh, when I decided I was going to open my own bar, uh, because I had been in the nightclub industry for so long, I wasn't actively seeking investment because I knew it would be easy to find. I was more concerned with finding the right place and coming up with the right concept. And I had enough money to get that far down the road myself. And he called me Damn. and he said, Hey man, I heard you're doing this thing. I'd like to talk about it. Can you come to my office? And I said, Sure. And we talked about it and he goes, okay, let's do it. How'd you and meet said, this guy? 
Through partying. Through partying. Well, I mean, it's, it's funny you mention this because I say uh, it comes up a like, lot in the show. Like, treat. I'm, I'm assuming you met through the nightclub somehow. Like that. We actually probably- met. We actually met through one of the buyers. Okay. For one of the stores that, that hosted my clothing line. Okay. Um, but I guess the, the point being is you never know who your future investor is. So treat everybody like a future, a future investor. You never know what relationship uh, is going to be the one that, you know, gives you what you need. So treat everyone as if they could be that person. Right. Man, I, I feel like we can all look at our lives and say that where I am today is not where I thought I would be today when I was 16. Yeah. You, you have you have no idea what your path is going to look like. Yeah. So you have to be open. Yeah. So I cut you short before you were talking about this, like how he reached out to you and said he would like to talk to you. And then you said something. Take the story from there. Oh, so I, I was, you know, I, I gave him a brief rundown of what I was, was going to do. I said I wanted to open this New Orleans inspired place. It's not going to be a New Orleans themed bar. It's going to be a bar that mimics any bar you would go to in New Orleans. So why is that? Uh, what's the difference between that? Like, why do you think that is the best approach not to do a theme bar, but just to do an authentic, this is what I would want to sit at if I was sitting in Louisiana. I, I think it comes down to the type of people you're trying to attract. And, and for me, I, our central focus was never going to be on tourists in the tourist business, even though we were on Hollywood Boulevard, I wanted to have a place where the culture inspired the community to uh, participate. And so theme bars get old, right? But if you go into a place and you say, man, this feels exactly like it did in New Orleans and I'm being treated in the same way and the flavors are identical. That's not, that's not a theme. That's not this surface level, you know, demonstration. It's the, the foundations of the company we're built around those in New Orleans. Well, I guess what I'm trying to get at is it's not a theme when it's true. It's authentic to who you are. It's part of your story. It's part of your culture that you grew up with. So it's something I mentioned, we, we talk about a lot on the show, like a, behind every great restaurant is a great person, right? Or behind every great, great business is a great person. And when you when that business is an ex, an, a literal extension of who you are, then you're not showing up to a job every day. You're showing up to like your life. It's, it's, it's very intentional. It's, it's, it's an extension of you. Why is that so powerful? Because you're, you're affording others a reflection of self. Mm. I, you know, when I owned a dive bar in, a, in Hollywood, it, it, 30 years old, I could have never envisioned that 10 years later, I would be a Michelin rated restaurateur, right? But, but both ventures are me. They're 100% me. And that's why they resonate. As I have grown, as I have matured over the years, so have my businesses. Okay. Uh, back to this relationship. So, um, this mentor of you or this, this partner of yours, uh, was he just bringing money? Um, was he bringing a level of expertise or we, was he, uh, advising in any way? Like how did you guys draw the lines between the, that relationship? He was amazing. He, uh, he gave me full autonomy. I would go to him when I had questions or I wanted his input, but for the most part, he just trusted me to do a great job. Okay. Um, what about a partnership agreement? Did you guys do anything along those lines? We did. Okay. Any advice on that front? Yeah. Get paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> you're not a partner unless the paperwork states that you're a partner. Okay. And um, were you, did you guys have separate lawyers? Did you go to one lawyer? Um, is there certain language that you would recommend people put into those agreements to protect yourself? It's all in what you're into. I, I'm not a big fan of sweat equity. I'm just not a, a big believer. I believe that time uh, is more valuable than money. 
I think money is really easy to come by. I think that time is not. And, and so I would say you structure, you structure an evergreen deal. You structure a deal uh, not based off the best case scenario of the business, but based off a deal that no matter what, you would be happy with it at the conclusion of the agreement, no matter what happens. Got you. Um, so what were some of the things reflecting back? This is your first restaurant that you own. Um, what were some of the things that you, that you did right and wrong? Kind of break that down. Take us through that opening and that, that story. Uh, I was selfish. Okay. In the beginning, I was selfish in the middle as well. Um, what, what I did was I, I cannibalized information. I hoarded information. I wanted to feel like the smartest. I built the entire business around my presence. So okay. if I wasn't there, the business generated less money. If I wasn't there, it didn't run as well. And that made me feel good. It made me feel important. Uh, and as it later on, it turns out later on in life, it made me feel foolish. Okay. Right. Because you can't grow outside of that. Why did it make you feel good? What was going on internally? You feel important. You feel like people need you. You feel like the business is successful because I'm successful and the two are intertwined. Um, whereas, you know, a business should be treated like a child. You want to give it all of the tools it needs to succeed, whether you're present or not. I love it. Um, so, you were hoarding all this information. You were, you were making sure that the business was dependent on you. Um, what things happened to make you realize that wasn't the best approach? I opened another place. <laughs> so, <laughs> and when I did, the first place took a dump. So is you know? uh, Pru and Proper? This it is. Okay. So um, I feel like the, I don't want to rush too far ahead because I feel like there's probably some more that you can give us from opening that first restaurant any any hard lessons any like just like yeah man you know face so plants right on the face go ahead you got it i started looking uh for my second location two years into having the first and that was a mistake and the reason it was a mistake was because i spent two years trying to find crew and proper when i could have spent two years trying to build the profitability of my first company uh, I, I believe now that you don't start another company until you have maximized the profitability of your first one. Okay. Until, until you've created an autonomous business that could run well without you. And it is impossible for it to make any more money, top line and bottom line than it's making now. Take us, Cause otherwise you're buying yourself another job. Yeah. Take us through that, that process of getting a business to that place. How do you know it's there? You set targets, you set goals, you determine what that is for yourself. So Pru and Proper was 900 square feet uh, and generating at at the best 1.4 to $1.5 million a year. I think I could have probably grown that to $2 million a year had I been focused on it. But in Boise, Idaho, that top line might look closer to a million and that's what it tops out as. You know, you've, You've got to set aggressive goals and then determine whether those are realistic or not through trial and error. Yeah. And I love that you're bringing this up. I, I feel like um, I say something similar. This idea of I think when people think of growth, they think out. Like if I'm going right. to make more money, I got to grow out. I got to go out, out, out. But 
the idea that I picked up is that growth comes from putting your energy in, going in, 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 and doing everything to the point where you can't get it any better, where you're so good at what you do that there are so many options on the table because of how good you are, what you do. Everybody wants a piece of you, a part of what you're doing that you can literally pick and choose whatever path you want to take from there. Um, do you want to dissect this or compound off what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. So much of it comes down to asking better questions. I, I give you, I give you two great examples. Uh, I used to always ask myself, how do we get busier on a Monday? Wrong question to ask. Question to ask is, is there, is there a reason to be open on Monday? Is there, is there a profitable model? Like what, why do Mondays and Tuesdays need to be loss leaders? Mm. Why, why do I need to be open? Yeah. Why can't I just not be open and bank that money? Mm. It, it's, you know, a, another, another great question to ask would be, you know, instead of I always ask, you know, because I had this like New Orleans inspired place, how do I compete with Taco Tuesday? How do I do that? Instead of saying, how do I create more value so that that's not even an option for people? Yeah. It's kind of like getting outside the box, right? We're like, again, back to this idea of like, we're, we're surrounded by a way of doing things within the restaurant industry that is just the standard and we don't question it. It's like, oh, like, but when we get outside that box and don't let any of those bad habits, it's, it's, it never ceases to amaze me how many people I get on the show who have zero experience in the restaurant industry that come into this industry and crush it because they look at things like, why would I do it that way when I can do it this way, which is so much more efficient and effective? You know, like they don't have, they don't pick up any of those, those traditions and those bad habits. Right. Like when you look at where the state of the industry today, you don't have to wonder like who screwed the restaurant industry. We screwed the restaurant industry. Absolutely. We did it. We did it by competing on price and training people that it's a ripoff if they pay regular price and by charging uh, a price that we believe people are willing to pay as opposed to what it is worth. Exactly. Um, We, we, we have made all of these mistakes and ultimately it's going to be up to us yep. in, in conjunction with the patrons who we have to achieve buy-in from to get out of it. I want to break that down, but I, I feel like that's going to be like the culmination of our, of our conversation. I want to save that for later, how we get out of this, the situation we created for ourselves. But back to your story over at 504 or 504, um, you had this vision that you were going to do things differently, that you were going to break all the shit that was wrong with our industry or take all the shit that was wrong with our industry, throw that aside and create a concept that focused on the relationships, on people, on happiness, on all these. Did you execute that from day one at four or five Oh four or five zero four? I'm sorry. Uh, or did this, uh, come like later on? Like in, if you did achieve it, like how did that look? I think that I created a positive, environment to work in. I think that I, uh, I, I think that I gave the patrons what I promised, which was a place you could go every day, a place you could go by yourself um, and never feel alone. I, I felt like I created a, a community hub that I did well um, with the staff. I let everyone run free. I wanted it to be a fun bar and a party bar. And uh, I ran it more irresponsibly at 30 than I would at, at 40. Um, what I should have been doing was it, encouraging healthy habits and and trying to help everyone become the best version of themselves possible uh and and that is that is something i I will always regret okay so i mean i think you don't know until you know right and and I, i think you were kind of right on to create a culture of happiness um and when you're 30 years old um 
or late twenties, like there, we have different things that make us happy, right? Like there, we're at a, we're a little more immature and you were trying to create that culture of, you said freedom. And, um, did you, I mean, I can't really tell if you're saying that you did it right or you did it wrong. Cause you did say that you created a place of happiness and, and, um, freedom and a community hub, but you're also saying that you created it. Maybe you had it hinging on things that weren't necessarily like partying, poor decisions, health decisions. I'm, I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth right now. I, I don't want, I don't want to do that. No. Yes. And no. Yes. I did a lot of things, right? Yes. I did a lot of things wrong. Let's focus on um, what you did better. Right. Let's focus on what you did. Right. So you said you built this community, right? And you created this, this, right. this culture of happiness where people had some sense of freedom, which is a good thing. How did you do that? Like what was what through was- self-expression okay. through the prioritization through the prioritization of self-expression, I turned to my team and I said, the bar is a stage. Your job is to entertain. And I created an inclusive culture where you could go to that bar, Eric, you could sit there by yourself and the bartender would get to know you and he would introduce you to the other people that are sitting at the bar. We, we, the, there was a culture of inclusivity in an area, in a town where exclusivity was king. How did you create I, I that culture? The, like, like what? By, by leading the charge. You lead by example, right? It's not go over there. It's let's go. Let's do this together. So I stood behind that bar and I started those conversations and I empowered people to get to know each other. And I bought a round for the bar and, and I showed them what it was like to host, what it was like to entertain, what it was like to help people build connections. One of the I did that and empowered them to do the same. Okay. One of the things um, you mentioned that I'm kind of hung up on is letting everyone run free, which I think it kind of, when you said it, I think you kind of meant it as a positive thing. And I, I, I do, I do think that that can be a positive thing, giving people exclusivity, not exclusivity, but what's the word autonomy, right? To, to, to self-express, to be themselves, to, to get in the lane that they belong in. Right. Is that, what you mean by that? Or do you mean something else by that? By this idea of letting people um, run free? Was you explain it- to people why you're doing what you're doing. And if they fall in line with those core values and those beliefs, then they can run free because it'll fall in line with, with what your goals and your objectives are. Does that, that make sense? Does Absolutely that makes sense. So that, yeah. And I, I'm loving what you're dropping on us. And I, the reason why this is resonating with me particularly right now, um, good friend or good, I shouldn't say good friends. My, my hope is to one day become good friends with Ari Zingerman, uh, or sorry, Ari Weinsbach from Zingerman's. Uh, are you familiar with Zingerman's? And our, very, uh, the- so his books, um, he, his latest chapter. So he's got four renditions of his book there behind me, but this is his latest chapter right here. And it's, um, what I believe about anarchism and business. So his whole thing, his whole brand is a lapsed anarchist, right? Uh, he used to be an anarchist and how it influenced him in business, but now he's kind of having this, this, like this, like awakening where he still believes he is an anarchist, right? And a lot of what anarchy is, is leaning into human behavior and letting people be human and letting people run free. Right. That idea that too much organization, too much hierarchy, too much control is restrictive and dampening of morale and all these things. But what you're saying is exactly what he says in this book, which is all they need is a good foundation, simple framing, vision, mission, purpose, core values, you know, and you give them these cultures, you give them this framing and then you smack them on the ass and say, go get it. And you let them be themselves. And that, it sounds like that's kind of the approach you 
you took, but what you didn't do well was maybe putting the right core values in, putting the right things like putting too much emphasis on the party and the good time at the expense of your health. And I don't want to put words into your mouth, but am I coming full circle for you? You are absolutely. That 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 was what I, I saw my responsibility to the patrons, right? I saw that, and I fulfilled that. I fulfilled my responsibility to the staff and, and to my business partner in terms of financial stability and profitability. Where I failed the staff was in leadership. I was a good manager, but I was not a great leader. And the way you know that is by asking yourself one question, where are you leading them? Okay. And I wasn't leading them to a better place. Mm. So you said you were a good manager. Um, I mean, let's, like management is important, uh, but it needs to be, like you said, it needs to be compounded with leadership. But what does it take to be a good manager? How were you a good manager? What does that look like? Well, it's, again, I, I, the older I get, the, the less I am concerned with management and I'm more concerned with hiring. Uh, I believe that the best people uh, need to be led. They self-motivate and they self-manage. And so it, it's, I spend most of my career trying to convince people to show up on time, in uniform, be ready to work, know everything they need to know, be focused, be excited, be enthusiastic. And I don't do any of that anymore. I don't believe in it. I believe you hire people that can do those things on their own. You indoctrinate them into your culture and your belief systems, and then you let them go. And, and you're there to manage situations, not people. Mm. You're there. You're there. Like a great example. Uh, our central core belief at the fine dining restaurant, Pru and Proper, uh, is that everyone leaves happy. Not that nobody leaves disappointed, Right. It's that everybody leaves happy, that everybody leaves better off than they were when they came in. So understanding that that is ultimately the goal, you don't have to tell the staff anything, right? If they have to comp an entire meal to make that happen, sure, whatever. I I can tell you, I I had a guest come in. This is a true story. They came in for brunch, four women, lovely, lovely people. They ordered a bunch of food, didn't like any of it. I pulled it all off the bill. I said, well, maybe you'll like these things instead, right? We have a big menu. Maybe they just chose the wrong things. They tried all of that. They didn't like any of that either. They didn't even really like their drinks. And you can't be all things to all people. But in this moment, I was no things to these people. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and by the time they left, like 30, 40 minutes later, they had enjoyed none of the food they had eaten, none of the drinks that they had had, but they left happy and they said that they were going to try us for dinner, that maybe this was the wrong service for them. And, and it's through that, that authentic desperation, right, and trying to make someone happy uh, that, that we excel. Yeah. What's that saying? People don't care what you know. They, they, they want to know how much you care or something like that. I think yeah, absolutely. Destroy that. But it's, it's true. Like you can, and like, I think what Danny Myers says or Danny Meyer says is, uh, you can write the end of the story, right? Like shit's going to hit the fan. Like it's inevitable. It's going to happen. Like you can't prevent it from happening. It's going to happen. But what you do have control over is what your response to that situation is. And if you authentically genuinely care about doing the right thing, it will translate and you can fall on your face time and time again. But if you, if you care that you're, if it shows that you care that you got it wrong, you will still win them over. That's it. That's it. That's yeah. the whole kit and caboodle. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So um, let's let's kind of talk about now. You, you said that you the one thing you did it, reflecting back, or the one thing that comes to mind, scaling from one to two is going too soon. If you could have done it uh, over, you said you would have put the energy into your first restaurant, 504, 504. Um, what, can you break that down and get like granular and specific about what you would have done different, like um, as far as um, the, yeah, the numbers you were looking for? Yeah. To put it to put it very simply, what I would have done was I would have grown 504 to the point where 504 could have paid for the next restaurant. Okay, like super simple. Yeah. I wouldn't have taken on a, more investor capital. I wouldn't have spent a dollar more than I had in the bank. And in doing one, and in being able to achieve that, right, that would have proven the solvency of the business and that it was time to move on. So, did you get more capital, more investors for number two? I did. Yeah. Well, you, well same investor doubled up. Okay. Well, at least you had a good investor, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. Any anything negative come from doubling down? Uh, the 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 realization that with every new restaurant you buy, you are buying yourself a new job. It's a liability. It, it is. Yeah. And, and if you're not ready for it, you know, the second can take down the first and then you, did you the, are the king of nothing. Did the second almost take down the first? Oh yeah, for sure. Well, it looks like the, the first of five zero four was around until 2019, October of 2019. Um, yeah, we made it 10 years. Yeah. So and sold for a profit. what was that? How did you recover? Well, what does it make sense to talk about the recovery of five zero four or opening proven proper? I think it, 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 makes more sense to talk about Peru and proper, especially considering the climate we find ourselves in. Okay. Let's get into it. So why, what, what was the vision for Peru and proper? Uh, it was going to be, I, I wanted it to be the, the preeminent Southern house on the West coast. I wanted, though I had never been in that tier of dining, I wanted a master fine dining. And I wanted this to be when people thought of Southern food on the West coast, I wanted them to think of this restaurant. Okay. Um, that was the goal. Okay. So, Take us through the execution of that. Um, now, this is your second restaurant you're opening. Uh, this is my second restaurant. Uh, brought in a great general manager, a great executive chef. 11 months in, we've lost almost a quarter million dollars. Damn. Executive, right? The executive chef. Uh, he and I aren't even really speaking at this point because a, his vision for the restaurant doesn't really match mine. Okay. Uh, the, the general manager at the time, I believe he created a... a t- toxic culture. Okay. Uh, and so I turned to my business partner and I said, I'm going to fire the GM. I'm going to fire the executive chef. I'm going to find a new executive chef. I'm going to take over as GM. And if things aren't better in 90 days, I'm going to shut it down. Okay. So and that's just going to, I want to go through what that 90 days look like. So obviously you turned it around cause it's around to this day. You guys are going strong. Um, what back to before you took over, back to before you guys opened, what would you have done differently to make sure everyone was aligned? I I think it comes down to setting really specific expectations. Uh, Where where I fell short was in in giving people parameters to follow. What I said was, you're a great executive chef. I trust you. You can run this business however you see fit. You're a great GM. You run this business however you see fit. Instead of saying, these are our goals. These are our goals daily, weekly, monthly. We're going to check in every week. We're going to see if there are any issues. We're going to tackle those issues together. Yeah. But 
Everyone needs to be rowing in the same direction. I will function as the visionary. You will function as the implementer. And together, we will chart the path forward. Yes. I didn't do that. Yeah. So back to kind of the idea of letting people run free, like there's a balance that needs to be struck. There's a certain level of framing that needs to go into place. So people have direction. So they know they're doing the job right. We need that too. And within those parameters, within those, you know, uh, those banks, uh, like I think of the banks of a river, right? Like you can go, if you're water, you can go any friggin' which way you want. As long as you're within those banks, you can be water, you can be fluid, you can do whatever you can be free as long as it's downhill. Right. Um, so like that's what I'm hearing. Like you, you kind of just threw people into an ocean, right? With no guide. Well, but I mean, forgetting that like, like the numbers didn't work either. The rent okay. was $21,000 a month Damn. for a 6,000 square foot, two story restaurant located in the heart of downtown LA. And when we opened, we were an island. There was nothing around us. We were a destination spot. So in order to make that lease rate make sense, we had to grow our top line for two years. I would never do that again. Okay. I would never let my optimism influence my business strategy, your practicality, your, pragma- your pra- right. pragmatism. Um, beautiful stuff, man. This is really great advice. So fast forward. Now you, you realize that your GM and your chef are diverging in what they want to do. They're not aligned. Uh, you come in, uh, you say, I have 90 days. I'm going to hire a new chef. What did it look like from that point on? So I, through a friend of a friend, I, I found another executive chef, a guy by the name of Sammy Monsoor, incredibly talented executive chef. To this day, he's your executive uh, chef, correct? He is. Yep. And my business partner. Yeah. And so uh, uh, he was vested. He was vested two years in. Uh, and, and so I, we just got to work. And I started on infrastructure. I started on culture. Uh, I had read all of these management books and I was like, let's, Let's trial and error. Let's put this stuff to work and see what happens. And Sammy came in with an eight-item menu, and we grew it over time to a 30-item menu, um, and we just worked aggressively. The first 90 days looked like a lot of self-promotion paired with a lot of apologizing for the mistakes of the past. You know, the restaurant's never been particularly cheap, so all of the false starts, all, all of the ruined dinners, all of the lost dishes – all of the ill-prepared food. You know, there was a lot of bridge building over the course of the next 90 days into, into the first, you know, the following year, trying to let people know that we're different and that we're aggressive. I had to work with the vendors mm-hmm. uh, to make sure that they would continue to extend terms to make sure that we had enough time to dig our way out of this. So you opened Prue and Proper in 2014. I'm guessing that this, this time, all this was going down around 2015 and 2016 in that time period. Yep. So um, say that the executive chef's name for me one more time. Sam, was it Sam? Sammy. 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 So Sammy, you said you vested him, was it around 2017, 2018? 2018. 2018. You mentioned earlier that you don't believe in sweat equity. Why didn't you invest? Why didn't you give him equity in the business from day one? Because I, we didn't know how that relationship was going to work. We didn't know what it was going to look like. Uh, he was he was given that, that equity, not because he had achieved ownership status, but because he had functioned as an owner from the day that he walked in. He was the guy that didn't call someone to repair the fryer. He repaired it himself. Mm. He was the guy that cooked on the line when it was busy as opposed to hiring another line cook. Yeah, He always operated like an owner, and that's why 
that he was yeah. given. I'm, I'm really interested in this. And in full transparency, I'm interested in this. In case he's literally listening to this conversation, he has headphones on on the other side of my computer listening to this conversation. In case he right now is working sweat equity to, be, to work towards partnership and restaurant unstoppable. We're literally going through this right now where we're trying to figure out if we're a good team. We're trying to figure out how we work together. We're trying to figure out, is it, is it possible to have two visionaries on the same team? Is, are we going to butt heads? Are we, can we figure it out? Like, how do we, what's your advice for Casey and I? He's literally listening. Same thing. We're talking to both. (laughs) Casey, develop your dream scenario and and understand that, that it's, it's gotta, it's gotta work now and it's gotta work later. Right? So if at the end of six months, uh, Eric turns to you and goes, you know what? This isn't going to work. You don't get the equity. You have to make sure that you didn't waste that time. So it, the other thing I would say is this. Um, equity is worth nothing unless you sell the business. So what's the point of ownership? Casey, you own half of Restaurant Unstoppable. What are you going to do with it? Nothing. You're not going to leverage it. You're not going to take it to the bank and use it to get a home loan. You're not going to do anything with it. The equity itself is worth very little to nothing unless the business is actually sold. So instead of focusing on equity, focus on things that you can get out of the relationship today that will better your life and your career. And if the net result over the next six months to six years is that you get an equity stake in something that is probably never going to be sold, great. But if not, like, like what... Why would ownership of anything be the end result? I think that's great advice. I'm going to have to listen to it over again. But I mean, even reflecting back (laughs) on our relationship, um, a lot of the things that you said that you were doing with your first 504, like the business was a reflection of you. The business hinged on you. It was around you. I'm 100% guilty of that with restaurant unstoppable for Christ's sakes, my face is on the, the, the logo. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. it's a mm-hmm. part of me in a lot of the inner dialogue. A lot of the challenges I've been having lately is how, how do I bring somebody on and does it change my whole brand? Isn't it? Does it, does it mean everything changes? Like that's but the, why, why does there have to be an equity deal? Why couldn't it just be a profit sharing deal? I don't know. Um, I guess that's a conversation that Casey and I have to have later. <laughs> but you know, uh, it, but I, I, it's because the, the the question is wherein lies the value, security. and so he says security. Okay, then you need money. Equity isn't money. Money is security, not equity. You know, give you a great example. You look at the housing crisis of two thousand and eight, right? What did that teach us? That you don't own your house. The bank owns your house, yeah. right? So, so what is equity worth relative to cash flow? So, you know, it, it's, it, it, is, it is the mistake that all non-owners make. Yeah. When you started this podcast, how much was your equity worth? Zero. Nothing. <laughs> it was Zero, negative. Right? I was losing time well, on it. <laughs> right? Exactly. What was it worth a year later? Maybe a dollar. It wasn't so worth you, anything until like four or five years into this thing. So, right. Yeah. Exactly. And so, you know, you built it over time. And, and fortunately, you find yourself in a financial position where that juice was worth the squeeze. But, I, but, it, but it's... Go ahead. No, no. I'm, I'm here to listen. Keep going. I was going to say, but, but, you know, when you're looking, when you're looking at achieving an equity stake, the question is, what is the means to an end? 
you know, a, as an example, Casey, if I was to invite you to come work for me on my podcast, doing the same thing you do for Eric, and I'll pay you a quarter million dollars a year, would you hold out for Eric's equity or would you take the quarter million dollars a year? What really represents security? And I don't have an answer for, for you or for him, but the answer for me is cash flow. That's that's what I'm looking for. Eric, if you turn to me tomorrow and you said, Josh, sell all of your companies, I'm going to pay you a million dollars a year to not do shit. And I'll give you a 30 year contract. You know what I would do? That. (laughs) So, I mean, this somehow became a a conversation about podcasting and not restaurants. But the the thing is, business is business. Relationships are relationships. Right. And um, I do believe in um, the idea of a team of owners. You know, I think that if you have everybody who has skin in the game, a part of the business, nobody's going to treat it like they own it unless they do. You know what I'm saying? No one's going to show up like you every day. The, the same desire, the same motivation. I, I, they can get close, but I don't think that you'll ever get the most out of anybody unless they have something invested in that business. Um, do you disagree? To a small degree, yes. Yeah. I, I think that I think that entrepreneurs are entrepreneurs, and I think that the best business owners have recruited entrepreneurs and convinced them to buy into their dreams, right? Or have crafted a, a shared dream, whereby people are running like the reason. The reason that like when you read the reviews on Pro and Proper, the service is sterling. It's not because of anything other than the fact that I convinced my team to run their businesses within mine. Mm. Right. They're all little entrepreneurs, all running their businesses within my business. And so they're all owners. They have a 100 percent equity stake in their, you know, Trevor as a server tonight in, in the middle of service. And that's one thing I will. So say, that, sorry. That's one ahead. thing I will say about Casey is that he treats it like he owns it. And I recognize that and how lucky I am to have somebody who wants it, who wants to treat it like they own it, who wants to take ownership of a project in the take pride in that. I completely transparently and probably letting my ego get in the way of like, is this ours or is this mine? Why can't it be ours? Why can't I give up some freedom? Um, and that's a big pill to swallow. Like, I think I don't think I've even said this to Casey in prior conversations. I might have skirted around it. Um, but there is a little, how did you let go of that freedom of that identity uh, of how did you remove, like what was the, the straw that broke the camel's back for you to say, Hey, Sammy, why don't you take the lead on Peru and proper? And now I see that the, your bar manager, um, are they married? Is that what's going on there? Are they together? They're, yeah, they're engaged. <laughs> so it kind of seems like you shedded Peru and proper from your identity and now they own it and it's tied to their identity. Oh, it's both, right? It, it's, it's a shared vision. Um, what, what I care about most is, is that, again, that we're working towards becoming the preeminent Southern house on the West Coast. Mm. That, that vision is fulfilled. How we get there is ultimately going to be up to the culinary team, which is Sammy and Cass today. Um, and I can trust them to do it because, again, we, our visions are aligned. They want what I want. They, their core values are my core values. Um, and, and, again, Sammy didn't walk into the situation seeking equity. It, it, it was it was a reward for his hard work and for his efforts that went so far outside of the scope of what he was being paid to do. Gotcha. I didn't do it to keep him. I did it because I thought that it would benefit the business 
to have him there. That in having him as an owner, the business would be worth more. Yeah. So is there anything we have not discussed that you think was like a keystone to your success um, in your businesses, brew and proper? Um, you ha- we haven't even talked about uh, Cell City Fried Chicken, which was around for about a year. What, what went on there? Uh, it was a disaster. It was an absolute disaster. Uh, <laughs> Why? It's because uh, the fast casual, after being in fine dining for so many years, a fast casual is just not the right model for us. It's not the right market. We couldn't do it cheap. We couldn't do it fast. And all we did was piss people off. And we missed the mark again and again and again. The food was great, but it was expensive and it was slow. Mm. And that's that's not the right model for fast casual. Gotcha. And so, you know, that was... That was, that was a lesson and an exercise in strategic quitting, right? And knowing that what we were doing wasn't right and knowing that it was a time and a money suck and getting out. Strategic quitting. First time I've ever heard that. Um, so dive into that a little bit more. Like what, what is the framework for strategic quitting? If something isn't working, stop. Okay. Period. That's it. But we don't do that, right? Because we're like a snowball. We're like, ego. Gets we're like, all right. It's like a log on a river, right? It's so hard to stop the momentum. But if you thought something was a great idea yesterday and then today, all of the evidence shows that it is not like this is your moment. This is your opportunity to change that. This is your opportunity to make a better choice. I don't I don't understand for myself included why it's so hard to say, well, that was a mistake. I was wrong. I'm not going to do that shit anymore. It's, I think it comes down to um, ego pride. Um, it, for some reason, humans have this issue with admitting guilt and wrongdoing. Like we, we swallow that shit and we bury it. But the truth is the complete opposite will serve you when you're like, if you don't know something, I don't know if you did something wrong. Shit. That was my fault. When you do all those things, when you, when you admit it, like it's, it, it, it makes relationships stronger. It, it, it releases you from the burden, the liability of lying, of burying that stuff. Um, what's going through your mind as I say this, the word vulnerability, mm. that is, uh, the, 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 the idea and the practice of vulnerability is, is central to, uh, both my leadership strategy to all of my personal relationships it is, uh, it, it, you know, when I, when I started the podcast, Full Comp, it, it wasn't about saying I've done all of these things right and I want to talk to other geniuses in the industry. It, it was saying I've, I've really struggled as an entrepreneur and there have been as many downs as there have been ups. And, and this, I find this industry to be really hard and at times yeah. unlivable. And I know I'm not alone, so let's have a conversation about it. Yeah. And that resonated with, with a large audience. Yeah. Um, I think I want to translate or translate. I want to transition into what you got going on full comp. But before we get into that, uh, you do have a, a tech company that you were running on the, on the side of all this called flow, which is still going to this day. Um, yeah. I did notice that you guys seem geared towards full service and you've even kind of admitted in this interview that fast casual isn't your thing. Your lane is full service, high touch. Um, how is, what is flow? Get into what flow is first. Uh, so flow, flow is an all-in-one communication solution. Uh, one of the things that I struggled with in, in my own restaurant was uh, who's going to answer the phone when we open at five o'clock? Who answers the phone nine to five, Monday through Friday? And so I did it for a while. Nobody did it for a while. I paid someone to do it for a while. But those dollars never really made sense because it's two hours worth of work. It's just spread out across an eight-hour day. So 
uh, just like I learned to fix a toilet, I got on YouTube and I learned how to code. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I built out this platform whereby one reservationist can answer the phone for multiple restaurants. And my problem, as it turns out, and I'm sure this is true in your life as well, my problems are other people's problems. So once other people found out what I was doing, they were like, oh, cool, I'll use that service too. And, and it's a way to uh, save money and, and make money. And because of the pandemic, we now have a new mission. Well, that's what I was getting to in a, in a world that seems like your, your life, your businesses are geared towards high-touch, full-service operations, which are getting hit the hardest right now. Um, so I'm really curious to somebody who has built their model around high-touch, uh, fine dining, uh, you know, answering phone calls, like take reservations, like these things. Like how has – let's talk about COVID-19 a little bit. Like how, how were you impacted? Well, we shut down the restaurant. The restaurant's still currently closed. Okay. So we're uh, talking about prune proper is the only restaurant yep. you're running now, right? Cause I did see that in October you guys closed. Um, yep. I, I, we sold South city last year. We sold uh five Oh four last year. Okay. I divested so that I could focus more on the, uh, uh, on the tech company. Got you. So were you trying to exit, um, out of the industry around this time? it wasn't an exit. I was still going to keep brewing proper, still intend gotcha, to keep brewing gotcha. proper. Yeah. Um, but I, what I, what I wanted for myself was I wanted the bandwidth to be able to focus on what I thought the future was. And for me, I, I've spent my life serving the communities that I've resided in. And what I wanted to do was, was slightly pivot and begin to serve the industry that had helped me pay my bills. So what did you think? The, what did you think the future was going back, say seven months ago? I thought the future was what it is today. It's high touch, man. Like it just is. It's, you know, when, when, when I look at technology, I, I see tech using technology as an opportunity uh, to bring more humanity into the industry, not to pull humanity out of it. Yeah. And the, the tools and services that we will use moving forward, they will create a more personalized yeah. experience not a less personalized experience. And that's a key lesson right there. People ask me like, Oh, like what tool, what, what should I automate? Like anything that removes the human element that makes it more transactional within hospitality is probably technology that you might want to hesitate about. But if it improves communication, if it improves the human touch, if it improves human connectivity, then that's the stuff you want to lead into. So if you can automate accounting, which is a very unhuman thing, right? And then you can take that time and energy that would go into accounting to be present with your team and your employees. That's just a one example, like a, like a, a, a piece of software that scans um, inventory. So you can do like automatic entry, stuff like that. Um, right. Crowdfunding a single reservationist for multiple restaurants creates a more personalized experience in the same way that ordering your meal on a tablet, but having a captain that, that is dedicated to your section that's there to field any questions you may have and patiently walk you through the menu because they're not entering orders and and running food and distracted by so many other things. Yeah. Just like that, that is an additional service element. That's the future. Yeah. And I agree with you. I think that's kind of, um, I think there's a sense of, we got so good at automation. We got so good at removing the human element that we forgot that we needed as humans, you know, like we forgot right. that we like, we like that. And that's exactly what restaurant unstoppable is going through right now too, is we're, we're focusing on creating not more relationships, but, 
turning back and improving the relationships we already have, going back to past guests that made a huge influence on me, uh, focusing on our, our 20% of listeners who are the most loyal uh, and developing a relationship with them, which is why we're, we're doing our community now, a restaurant unstoppable network, you know, and I'm, and the, the thing is like, that's, that's where the industry was. And it's, I find some irony in what you said is like, we were focusing on what the industry is today, which is high touch. But the reality is that we're, it's completely the opposite of high touch because of the circumstances, COVID-19. So we're moving. It seems like we're moving in the right direction where we're putting value over um, the bottom line, the values over the bottom line. Um, but now we're, we're being forced again to focus on the bottom line just to survive. What is the danger that we're facing right now in doing that? I, I think the danger is, is that you continue to, to degrade the public's perception of, of what kind of value we offer as an industry. I, I think that, that there's nothing joyous about happy hour. I, I think that, you know, the, the competing on price has obliterated any value that a patron sees in the painstaking work that goes into the a food and beverage program. Yeah. And, and so, you know, w- what is the solution? The solution is, is that, you know, when we look at a 53% closure rate nationally, we look at that bloodletting and say, okay, the level playing field, there's less competition. There, there's a larger number of, uh, em, you know, the employee pool is much larger. And, uh, and we can now, we now have the ability to reset and improve work-life balance. What choices are we going to make to live our best lives? Yeah, and I'm I'm I could not be more aligned with that sentiment. I think that a lot of people right now because we're in the shit, it feels like the world's crumbling around us. But like, look at a, a wildfire, right? Wildfire destroys all things it touches. Like, but what happens a few months after? New green, plush fields and you know flowers and like it clears a path for a new start, right? And I think that's one side effect that's happened. Like with all this of all of us being forced to stop right now, like. How do we come back stronger? What are your thoughts on that? Like, what what does that like you're you're saying about how do we accomplish it? How do we execute it? It's an it's an individualized it's an individualized solution. Like I said, it took me it took me until four months ago to ask myself, what is my life going to look like? What do I want my life to look like? And so it's going to be different for everybody. What does it look like for me? I'm not going to actively operate my restaurant anymore. I'm going to change my pricing model to where not only can we go carbon neutral, which was the plan for the month of March, um, we will continue to offer subsidized health care. We will incorporate uh, retirement plans, a whole house pool, um, which is going to require a, a static service charge. Uh, we're only going to be open five days a week. I'm only going to work 50 hours a week. I'm going to have dinner with my family every night, and I will build my business around that. And either it survives or it doesn't. But I don't really care about my business. What I really care about is my, my life. And for far too long, my business was my life. And that was a mistake. All right. I'm, I'm writing some things down. We got to dissect. That's what I do. I pull back layers, brother. So some of the key things I heard and what you're going to be doing different, you want to start including a service charge. You want to do carbon neutral. You want to offer retirement plans. And I'm assuming if you're offering retirement plans, you're offering health care. Absolutely. So we'll do subsidized health care. How well. are you making that achievable like what it's easy okay you raise prices yeah and it's all baked into the price and either people are willing to pay it or they aren't and i think here's where i think the industry needs to come together is that the only way we're going to execute this is if everybody kind of buys in because i because it it can't just be us i think the that 
the overarching culture of our nation, the world needs to buy into. It can't, like, we have to educate people. Why is it so expensive? Because this is what it costs because this is the value of it. You know, this is what we're giving you. And we've, we've destroyed the value of food by doing what we've been doing over the past 30 years. Well, and, and, you know, patrons should be offended that we thought they were too stupid, right. To understand or too selfish to empathize with our plight. If we had made our case and we had made it in a compelling and human way, they would have understood. Yeah. They, it, it's real simple, Eric. Either, either, either you adopt the philosophy that going out to eat is an option, but paying rent is not, or you don't. And everyone can, can resonate with that idea. Yeah. Um, so real quick, though, where, can you give us some resources? Like, Where are you going to learn more about uh, carbon neutral? Is there like a, a blog you follow or a person that's educating others on how to do this right that you can share with us? Sammy Mansoor, yeah. my executive chef. Does he have uh, resources he, out there? He does. Uh, go, go to his website. It's Sammy Mon- or SamuelMansoor.com. You can just Google him. Uh, but he is a food fighter. He is all things uh, organic and responsible animal husbandry. And uh, he's a member of the Blue Ribbon Task Force and the Seafood Watch. And uh, the guy's doing amazing stuff in the industry. What about retirement insurance? What companies are you going to outsource those elements of your business that you can recommend? I, 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 you know, for me, I look to the resource of the National Restaurant Association and the California Restaurant Association. Uh, both offer great guidance on both. Cool. So whatever your state association is or national association, go check it out. They usually have yep. even deals. They have used their purchasing power they do. to get you lower rate. So that's a great place mm-hmm. to start. Um, and then the other thing I want to talk about, uh, something I've been kind of learning more about myself is this idea of service charges. Uh, what happens when you have a service charge? What are the freedoms, the liberties you get uh, operationally when you put a service charge in versus allowing your employees to accept tap- tips? It's your money. It's not theirs. Yeah. Service charge is yours. As long as it's not gratuitous, it's not a service charge. So you can dole it out however you deem exactly. fit. So if you're if you're doing if you're using traditional tipping, that money, even though if they're giving it to you at the end of the shift, it doesn't belong to you. You're just serving as a holder. So you can so you can document it and report it to the government and then give it back to them. Like you're just a, a middleman doing the reporting for the government. But when you, and the thing is, if, if you do take those tips, owners can't touch it and managers can't touch it. And, and it belongs to that person. You're just holding it for them. Um, and it gets really kind of weird about how, how you can divvy that up and slice that up. But if you charge up front, now it becomes a service fee. Now you do, that becomes your asset. That's yours. And you can literally you can give it to the, the homeless guy outside if you want to. There's no, like, you can do whatever you want with it. Um, there's no restrictions. Why is that more powerful? Because you can dole it out more equitably. I mean, like, on, on what planet are you, in what scenario would it be reasonable to, to allow a, a group of people that barely know each other to, to dole out money in, in, in inequitable fashion? while half of the staff watches from the sidelines. Like, it's just not not fair. And we've known it wasn't fair. But this is an opportunity to change that. Uh, When you look at, uh, let's say, 100% of the the job pool for the hospitality industry and a 53% closure rate, it gives you the opportunity because now there's a surplus in labor to say, this is how I believe an equitable distribution of this money goes. So this is how we're setting it up. And you can either work here or you can't. 
reason we haven't fixed so many of the inequities in this industry is because we were afraid we would lose our staff. But we are all closed and there's a surplus on the market. So if there was ever a time to reset and recalibrate, this is it. Yeah. And it's, it's weird what's happening out there. I mean, I just, I just interviewed Michael Galata uh, out of Louisiana, um, New Orleans. As a matter of fact, you might know their restaurants, MoFo and um, oh, the other ones, MoPlay or something. Forgive me, Michael. Um, but in interviewing him, like, it, you know, Q, like they were winning all the awards. They're getting all the recognition for like the new hotspots in town. Uh, all these accolades were being thrown at them from the outside looking in. These guys are killing it. They must be doing amazing. He got really open and vulnerable and saying like we weren't, we were barely getting by when we're, you know, had a wait list every night. We were barely getting by and it's been that hard ever since. Like, how is it that the, the people that we, see as the most successful in this industry, even they are scraping to get by. How do we let this happen? Like, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a reality that like, and we put up these fronts where we don't let people know the truth of the, of the, the status of our business. Um, it's weird. Like, how do we, I, I feel like we've been talking about it, but how, like, what's your last one more line about how we get beyond this? What has to change starting now to get beyond this? You got to understand the difference between busy and profitable. And being busy doesn't make you profitable and being profitable doesn't necessarily mean you're busy. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Anything we have not mentioned up to this point um, before we move on to the speed round? I feel good about it. Yeah. Um, and before we do go to the speed round, I do ask my guests all this question. Uh, the mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform our industry. How have you transformed over the past 10 years as an owner? Uh I, I began to, to truly live my values, which is to, to lead a life of service, mm. service to the industry, service to my team and service to the community. I love it, man. I've loved this conversation, Josh. We're going to take one more quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to bust out a speed round. Did you know Toast is the number one most recommended POS on Restaurant Unstoppable? I'm sure it has something to do with the fact that more than two-thirds of their employees have worked in the restaurant industry. And I'm feeling pretty confident that it has something to do with their commission-free online ordering, which is a hot ticket right now, which lets guests easily order directly from restaurants for pickup or contactless delivery to keep revenue flowing during these uncertain times. They even have delivery services, which dispatches local drivers through an on-demand network to keep your community fed and revenue coming. Regardless of the reason why people are recommending Toast, I highly recommend you go check them out during this industry-wide pause. To learn more, head to toasttab.com slash unstoppable. And because you are restaurant unstoppable listeners for a limited time, get one month of free POS software, three months of free digital ordering tools and 50% off implementation to ease the impact of COVID-19. This is a value of $1,000. One more time. That's toasttab.com dot com slash unstoppable you have to use that link to save one thousand dollars we're back and the first question i have for you is what is your it factor a habit a trait a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success my vulnerability what is your biggest weakness my ego what is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're building your team when you're growing your team how do you feel about people what are you looking for? Humility and a servant's heart. What is your biggest challenge today? 
relative COVID-19. to your business. <laughs> yeah. um, and how are you overcoming that? Uh, by, by asking myself the same question every day. How can I be most of service? Uh, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is a core value, a way to be, a way to act. Uh, attention to detail. It's one of our core values. Uh, you cannot train someone to pick up a piece of paper they see on the floor. Either they, they intrinsically know to do that and do that in all scenarios or they do not. So it's something that you must hire for. I mean, I, the next question I had for you was how do you, in, how do you train how do you create habits around detail? You can't do it. You say you can't do it. Either they have the attention to detail or they're not. What you can do is you can re- reward attention to detail. There you go. That way you reinforce the, uh, the ideas. You can paint a picture of what attention to detail looks like. So you can give people like an aiming point too. Um, sure. so, uh, what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So this is something that's common within the four walls of your restaurants, not common throughout the industry. Everybody leaves happy. I'll spend any amount of money. I'll I'll take as much time as needed. Nobody leaves upset. What's one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant owner? Traction by Gino Wickman. Yeah, there's been a lot of uh, great advice around that book. What was the biggest lesson for you in that book? Uh, In that book? book it's so the reason the book is excellent is is not because of one piece of advice it is because it clearly lays out an infrastructure for how you should run your business and it does it in in the the plainest most simple easy to understand way i would say it's like a new age like e-myth kind of in the sense of that's like very much what e-myth does it kind of gives you like the playbook um it's a it's a new rendition a new modern kind of rendition on that is a good comparison. Um, okay. And I know that book is available on auto audible. So head over to audibletrialcom slash unstoppable. If you're not listening to audiobooks yet, which I'll be surprised. I mean, I'm, do you listen to audiobooks? I do. How much of it has it impacted your life? Oh, it's huge. It's ridiculous. Go become an audible member. Use that link and you're supporting the show. Thank you in advance. Uh, what is one thing you feel restaurant tours do don't do well enough or often enough? Quit. Mm, that's a good one. Uh, name one service you've hired. So this is um, a, a service that is dependent on people, not necessarily on technology or tools, but like a, a person that's good at a thing that you've outsourced to do it for you. Uh, social media. And who is your person? Uh, we, we've got a, a, a company, honestly, like in my head, I can't remember the name of the company we use, but the company we use for the restaurant does a great job. Okay. Maybe you can come back at me with that. We'll, we'll I will for the show notes. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and what is one technology you've recently adopted that's had a huge impact on your, your business, whether it be communication, bottom line, uh, just general happiness. What is it? Mine. <laughs> Mine. Go to, go to justcallflow.com. J U S T C A L L F L O.com. And get a 60-day free trial. And again, that service is a um, phone answering service, correct? Yeah. Correct. All right. This is the last question. It's a doozy, so get ready for it. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants, your businesses would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and your legacy. What would those three pieces of of wisdom be focus on your family one they should be your only priority Two. um two 
treat other people the way you would want to be treated. And that's three or was that two? That's two. Okay. What's the third one? Honesty is the best policy. All right, man. I've loved this conversation. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join us, to share your story and your knowledge. There was tons of great advice packed into the, into the sucker. Um, we wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So who's one independent or smaller, I try to stay away from the bigger chains or smaller uh, corporate operation and franchise uh, that you respect and admire? Oh, that man, that's a great question. Um, wow. I, w- I would say Mark Canlis from uh, Canlis in Seattle. I interviewed him for the show. Um, the guy is just so friggin' inspiring. Yeah. What they're doing there uh, to serve his staff, to serve the community is next level. He is great. He is a past guest in the show. I had the, um, the, the privilege of when I was in Seattle, um, just kind of being a, a fly on the wall during their pre-meal. And I just kind of showed up one day. I was like, I'm in town. Is it cool if I swing by uh, to like just witness some stuff? And he was totally accommodating. Reflecting back, I kind of felt a little silly even just showing up at Canvas and asking for that. But he was so accommodating and they were great. The uh, best. Incredible the best, dude. Yeah, for sure. Um, and how can we connect with you if we're interested in flow, if we're interested in full comp podcasts? Um, what's the, I mean, there are podcasters listening to this right now. I promise you that. So if they want to listen to you uh, too, what's the best way to do that? Yes. Uh, they can search the podcast full comp or they can go to my website, joshcopel.com. Beautiful. And uh, what, what, just tell us a little bit more about your podcast. What are you trying to achieve? Uh, so I'm trying to have a different conversation. Um, what, I, what I heard uh, by and large throughout the community uh, was PPP, EIDL, all of these things. And I wanted to have a bigger conversation about what does life look like post pandemic? And so I, I created the podcast to not only talk with industry leaders, but thought leaders outside of the industry. Um, and collectively what we're trying to do is reimagine the path forward so that it, it, it is uh it, it is a snare whereby we thrive as opposed to surviving. Yeah. And that's where I'm trying to focus our conversation to. I think really that's where the solution is. Like we're in this situation. There's not much we can do about it, but we have a lot of like, instead of, I, I fear that we're going to react. I fear that by nature, by human nature, we are reactive by nature and we have this ability to be proactive. We can do it. It's how we evolved to be, but it takes a, t- a lot of time and a lot of energy. It's tough to be proactive. It's not easy, but it's possible. And I think it's really important that that's where the conversation is right now is what can we do to come out of this better, stronger? And I think it's kind of a blessing in disguise that all this shit's happening around us, all this, this awareness around social issues and inequality and uh, disparity, uh, even between people outside the restaurant industry and within the restaurant industry, you know, like how do we come back stronger? What can we do is a serious conversation. And I think we, if we come back together like that, it's going to be that much. It's going to give us that much more staying power. Right? So I love what you're doing, man. Uh, Keep up the great work. Thank you, bro. And uh, it's a pleasure to spread the word. Um, And we told the folks that we know how to connect with you. So we're ready to go, man. I guess this is where I say there is no questioning, Josh, you are unstoppable. (laughs) we'll cut it there dude thank you so much man that was great what did i say 
awesome episode. Thank you so much, Josh, for coming on and sharing your knowledge with us today and your story. Uh, some really great takeaways in today's chat. I think obviously the, the big ones is that you know if we're going to see change in our industry, it's going to come from within the industry. It's going to come from us, and it's going to come from us sharing knowledge with each other from, from by by empowering each other by educating each other by educating the general public and our customers about what needs to change, not just within our industry, but within the world really to, to make a positive impact on the future uh, for everyone really. So I love that from today's show too. Also some really great advice on uh, partnerships, uh, whether to take equity or whether to do profit sharing early on Uh, really great advice about creating a culture of exclusivity and not creating a whole business and concept around your presence and your brand and the danger of that something that kind of hits really close to home for me if i'm being completely honest and uh some really great stuff that came out of today's chat we also talked a lot about visioning and the significance of visioning and i want to remind you that we're actually having an exclusive conversation a deep dive conversation a workshop if you will live with re Wineswag. that's going to be this wednesday's episode in two days that episode uh, will actually be recorded, but it won't be live until next week. But if you want to listen to this episode live on Wednesday at noon Eastern, then here's what you got to do. Head over to restaurantunstoppablenetwork.com. These episodes are going to be recorded live. You'll be able to hear them a week later. But if you want to join the conversation, if you want to ask your questions to Ari in a Q&A after the conversation on visioning, then you have to be a part of this community. You have to be a part of this network and head over to net uh, restaurant unstoppable network com uh, and just to kind of compound us off this idea of visioning no matter where you are in your life you need to vision whether you're creating a vision for a new menu or creating a vision for your new business everybody has to be aligned and everybody has to be pulling in the same direction we need to know where we're going and that's what a vision gives us when we have our vision we can reverse engineer and create a strategic plan to achieve that vision it's so powerful so please 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 come join us live in two days head over to restaurantstoppablenetwork.com and be a part of the community and thank you in advance until next time Peace out.